Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Anthony Weiner Show, heard every Saturday from 2 to 3 on 77 WEC Radio, the most listened to talk news radio station in the United States of America. This is apparently the first Anthony Weiner Show. Many of you know that I have been coming on for the first hour before left versus right when Curtis comes in at 3 o'clock. Um, and we've been trying this out for a couple of months and we've had a great response from you, the audience, and it's been an opportunity for me to learn a great deal. And so we're going to keep doing it. So from uh, 2 to 3 every Saturday, I'm going to be coming on, doing a little bit of perspective. And then my friend Curtis is going to join at 3 o'clock, right before left uh, versus right. And I want to express my gratitude to all of you, the listeners, who have been supportive, who have participated in the show. If you'd like to participate today, 800-848-WABC. You can always hear the show on wabcradio.com. You can stream it live there, or you can listen to it in podcast form, wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to express a great deal of gratitude. Um, You know, I'm not a radio guy naturally. I think a lot of people sometimes believe that politicians, well, they're good at talking. It's true. But in my political life, having served in the New York City Council and in Congress, where I developed a relationship with a lot of people in the New York City metropolitan area, I ran for mayor a couple of times. You know, when you talk in those circumstances, you're very often – talking about the issue of the moment very often in 30-second or one-minute sound bites. Here on 77 WABC Talk Radio, we let things air out a little bit more, and that's particularly going to be the interest in my show um, that we're going to do every hour, um, every Saturday from uh, 2 to 3 in the first hour. Uh, I want to say thanks, um, thanks for first of all, to, to Curtis Lewa. He he helped kind of teach me some of these things. As, uh, as my partner on Left versus Right, they call – this is WABC, and the ABC, we joke around here, stands for Always Broadcasting. Curtis, he has been such a fixture on this station and has been so supportive and helpful to me, kind of learning the ropes. Uh, Rich, Diego, and Kevin on the other side of the glass have helped me not make radio mistakes and helped me understand how the process works. And uh, a couple of times every show they pick me up when I drop something. And uh, Curtis, um, as I mentioned, uh, Chad Lopez, the general manager here who – has been instrumental in making this um, the WABC radio that it is today, but no one more than John Katsimatidis, who, you know, I had some experience on ABC radio back in the day. I want to say around 2015, 16, I had done some guest hosting. I had uh, even thought about coming into radio as a job then. And the place was just, it couldn't have been uh, in more state of disrepair. There wasn't much investment going on in terrestrial radio at the time. And John Katsimatidis, who I had known for years, I had known him, we were both alumnus of Brooklyn Technical High School, I had known him as a fixture in New York City for his investment in community supermarkets, Um, I had known him for being uh, on the campaign trail at the same time I was, he ran for mayor in 2013 for the Republican nomination at the same time, 
that I did on the Democratic side. And he is someone that when he gets up in the morning, his first thought is like, how can I kind of be of service? How can I help out my city and my country? And when he goes down to bed at night, late at night, um, that's the last thought he has. And so when he talked to me about coming on and doing some radio, and I said to him, you know, it's, ABC is a little bit of a conservative bent. He said, you know what, that is true, but all viewpoints are welcome. Common sense is the abiding philosophy, and that's something that I really respect. And also, he is someone who's invested in the notion that communities need to find ways to pull together. And terrestrial radio is still a way that that happens, and so I want to express my enduring gratitude to him and also to Jordan and whom at home for helping me um, find the time to do it and also come up with the good ideas for this. But as I, I began with thanking you, the audience, um, the show has grown in, in popularity and success, not because of me, probably in spite of me. And it's because I think people really do want to have a place that the conversation is more about, more than just about the news of the moment and the bumper sticker polit- political position of even the second. Um, we live in a world of like kind of instant analysis. We instantly go to our corners. And I believe that sometimes we need to step back and take a little bit of perspective on the, the issues of the day. And that's why I really enjoy the idea that I come on on the weekends and I have a chance to let issues breathe a little bit. I get a chance to listen to what other hosts on uh, WABC are talking about here, what's going on in the firmament of the political debate. And Think to myself, well, what are the questions that I might have that go below the surface of those hot takes, so to speak? And that's what this show has been devoted to. For those of you who have listened for the last couple of months as we've tried out this version of the Anthony Weiner Show, the Anthony Weiner Hour, we still are open to ideas. We did a lot of focus grouping and testing, and we came up with the Anthony Weiner Show, and I think we maybe can do better than I, I thought about Anthony you know, Weiner in the middle or something like that. You know, opportunities to find perspective. And it gets down to a a philosophy that I've expressed on this show before, and that is there is an enormous amount of attention and oxygen that goes to the far extremes of both parties, both the far left and the far right. But I believe that they represent a relatively small slice of the American population and the American electorate. I think the hard right and the hard left have made it difficult, and I say that there's about 10 percent in each side have made it difficult for the other 80% to really have a conversation to really be able to get this country going in the right direction. And I don't think that that 80% is all the same thing. I mean, I think among the 80%, the way I describe it is 50% of that 80% are people that have very strong partisan views. They don't consider themselves middle of the road by any stretch of the imagination. But whether it be conservative or Republican, Democrat or liberal, They consider themselves open to ideas. They want to hear the conversation. They want to understand the back and forth. They want to hear the rebuttal. And then there's a 30%. And these people I want to see if I can get involved in this show as well. And those are the people who just don't believe that this is all on the level. They don't believe media is on the level. They don't believe the big institutions of our lives, whether it be the financial institutions, whether it be the educational institutions. They just don't believe that they're on the level, and have kind of checked out as a result. And a lot of young people are in that category. And so hopefully those people, too, participate in the conversation that we're going to have here each and every week. And um, this was the kind of week that really cried out for it. Uh, there, you know, We're seeing even as we sit down today to on this kind of slightly cloudy day here in New York City, um, as we are still hearing news about Ivaldi, the, the, the horrible shooting that took place there, 
we still know that there's much that we don't know, and there's a lot that we could, a lot of perspective that we could use. And I want to go into that in a moment. But before I do, I want to acknowledge also that this is Memorial Day weekend. Um, this is a weekend that is the nominal beginning of summer. This is a, a weekend that we have the sales and we have the parades and we have the opening day baseball games, the little leagues, and we have these commemorations. I don't think we should let too long go by on a station like this where we don't acknowledge that Memorial Day, which hasn't been around that long, I think it's only been around since the early 70s, is a day where we think the about the existential challenges that our country have has been in in the past and that it ultimately took people fighting and dying for our country to give us the opportunity to be here in the relative luxury that we are in a sound democracy where there's challenges to face to be sure, but we don't need to. My son Jordan, God willing, won't need to suit up and go into battle to defend um, his right to speech and to and to exercise his, his religion or to or to be able to live in peace. And over the course of time, uh, there have been a lot of families that have lost people in time of war, and I I think we should acknowledge them. It um, for those of you who are interested in such things, I have in front of me. 620,000 people were lost in the American Civil War, 405,000 people uh, in World War II. Um, during the War on Terror more recently, about 7,000 people, 4,400 of them in the war in Iraq, um, and lots in between. Uh, and um, I would encourage you it's to commemorate in the way that you see fit. Uh, what I think is helpful to do is to sometimes to find someone who has served and ask them to tell tell you a story about a comrade that they had lost and the conditions that the, the circumstances that that happened. Um, Cause sometimes veterans don't like to talk about their own experiences, but they are interested in telling you about the heroics of those that they served uh, alongside. And so on this Memorial day, um, I continue to say to all of you, let's try to commemorate and let's remember that as we say, God bless America. Let's remember why we have a country here in the first place um, that we uh, wish God's blessings upon us. So the, obviously you know, some some weeks there, I, I sit down and I try to think, well, what is the issue that animating a good discussion this week? What is the thing that needs more perspective? It's hard to think of any subject that um, still uh, needs a great deal of exploration than the, the horrible tragedy where 19 children and two teachers uh, were slaughtered in Valde, Texas. Um, if you're one of the people that even knew where Valde, Texas was before this week, um, I'd be surprised. It's a small town on the, on the border of Texas that now all of us know on the map. And I've been thinking about a lot of what's been said this week, and I don't want to try to rehash things that have been said over and over again. I welcome you to participate in this conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can email me at wienerwabc at gmail. Um, that's a, a new email address, Wiener. WABC at Gmail. I'm on Twitter, but I don't really look at it, at Rep Wiener, if you're interested there. But, you know, one of the things that I've heard spoken about this week is this notion that some people have been offended and have spoken loudly on on the airwaves about the notion of politicizing this tragedy. And I've given that a fair amount of thought because I hear it from time to time, and, and I don't really know I don't really know what people mean when they say that. I think usually what it means is that it's it's usually shorthand for I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. But in fact, everything that we do, particularly here on WABC, is to in a way politicize 
sometimes tragic things that have happened. And I say that in the best sense of the word. You know, we live in a republic form of a democracy. We live in a, in a democracy that we elect our leaders and then tell them, go out and make decisions for us. And an important part of that is the accountability. And the accountability doesn't just come every two years where you cast a vote for a representative or every six years when you vote for your senator or every four years for your mayor. No, the accountability comes with every day we expect those elected officials to respond to the issues that affect our lives, to affect the lives of the world in a responsible way. And when they don't, they're open to criticism. And when they do, they should be rewarded. That's what politicization means to me. And when we have horrors, we have tragedies like we had this week, what we should be doing as a democracy is immediately holding up to the lens of whether our political structures are doing the right thing or doing enough. Now, sure, there are opportunities, and I have said on previous episodes that sometimes we as Americans sometimes look for blame when sometimes things just happen. I talked about that during the baby formula shortage episode where you know, I said there are just sometimes things about the economy that just that happen in a capitalist economy. But when it comes to this challenge, it is not a question of whether or not it's not a question that just these are acts of God that are happening that no one could possibly foresee. These are reasonable conversations to have. If we think our political figures are doing enough to protect our children, to protect our streets, then we say that. And if we think they are not, we say that. That's not politicizing tragedy. That's what it means to function in a democracy. That's what it means to function in a place where we want elected officials to be accountable to us. And so when I hear politicians in particular say this is no time to politicize a tragedy, I hear them saying I don't want to talk about it, when of course we should be talking about it. And even if you are one of the five or six people left on God's earth who thinks there's nothing that we should do, that thinks that we should just throw our hands up and say it's okay that so many of our children go to school in circumstances where they have to train for the possibility that someone is going to walk in with a gun and shoot their classmate. Um, Unless you're one of the people that thinks that it's okay that someone can walk into a supermarket in Buffalo um, and shoot 10 people, including an armed guard who, uh, who had served his community in uniform. Um, Of course, that's going to be discussed and that's what it should be. Now, another line of conversation I've heard expressed and is this notion, well, why hasn't anything been done with all of these all of these news stories, all of the this these fatalities, all of these murders, all of these shootings, and you've all heard the statistics. Well a lot has been done. Between nineteen ninety and nineteen fourteen and uh, in two thousand fourteen, over a twenty five year period, which is a, a study that I saw, twenty thousand bills had been introduced in state legislatures. And 3,200 new laws had been enacted. That's what's going on in the states, including here in New York, including within the sound of my voice. Just about every state has had dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of pieces of legislation passed in a response to these mass slaughters, to these murders, to these shootings. Generally, what happens is if you are in a red state, the Republicans generally, about 28 states, have gone somewhere in the direction of, well, let's give the good guys more guns, is the shorthand for arming teachers, making it more easier for people to get guns so they can defend themselves. And that in the 
Democratic states, in the bluer states, it's more towards background checks and red flag laws. And when you do all of all of the math, the 28 states have made it easier for people to get guns and made it easier for teachers to get guns. It's interesting to point out that after uh, um, the shooting in El Paso in 2018, the governor of Texas helped pass legislation to arm teachers. So that was 2018. You know that not much has come of that. And the 21 states uh, that uh, that are the blue states have done things about increasing background checks. And so it's not like nothing has been done, but the place where nothing has been done has been Washington, D.C. Nothing has been done federally to speak of since the um, the ban on assault uh, weapons ban was done under President Clinton. That turned out to be very successful in reducing the numbers of these shootings, but as a condition of getting that passed, he had to agree for it to a sunset, which came and went, and now that ban is over. And so when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk a little bit about why the biggest thing that 90% of the American people agree upon, why it hasn't happened. And very often people say, hey, how does a bill become a law? My son Jordan's learning about that in school. I'm going to talk a little bit about why sometimes bills don't become laws. When we come back on the Anthony Weiner Hour, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about this. And then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee comes in for Left versus Rights. Thank you so much for being with us. See you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the Anthony Weiner Show. And welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're talking about the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. We're talking about the tragedies that seem to pile up one after another every year. They're happening more and more frequently. There's a lot to this issue, and I have been focusing on some of the things that have been talked about this week. I'd like you to join the conversation. The show does not function without you, without your viewpoint, without your input. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. A little later at the top of the hour at 3 o'clock, left versus right, where Curtis Lewa comes in, we're going to talk about this issue and a few others, including um, a poll that came out this week that if you're Bill de Blasio, you are not exactly getting your Congressman de Blasio cards printed, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So I talked a little bit earlier before the break about the idea that a great deal has been done on the state level. It's kind of broken down in kind of the predictable political way. Um, I'll be honest with you, it has been more successful stopping these types of these types of mass murders, these types of schoolhouse shootings, more successful in blue states where they have gun uh, registration laws uh, and background checks and red flag laws than in the instances where uh, Republicans have passed good guy with guns laws. But there is one thing that, frankly, is in the category that is very rare in American political life today and that there is broad, broad consensus around the idea of closing the loopholes in the background checks that we do presently if you want to buy a gun. And just so you understand, if you go into a gun shop, a licensed gun shop, there is a background check. You fill out 
ATF form 4473, I think it is, and a background check is done and you get your gun or it's denied. But there are gigantic loopholes in that law, and the biggest one is that online sales, like the perpetrator of the massacre in Texas this week, if you get it online and you're not purchasing it from a licensed gun dealer, and there are about, at any time, about 1.2 million ads available online for people selling and buying guns, or if you get a gun at a gun show, uh, you don't have any background check at all. And so there's a common sense piece of legislation that would fix that, would find a solution to that by basically saying that if you want to buy a gun from someone, you have to do it at a gun shop, meaning you can still have a private exchange of a gun, um, but it has to be at a gun shop. So then there the gun shop operator can do the background check for you. And then basically it closes that gap. Right now about 22% they estimate of all gun sales that happen, happen with no background check whatsoever. And if that seems like, oh, that's way, how would I find a, a licensed gun dealer? Well, there are four times more licensed gun dealers in this country than there are McDonald's. So they're not hard to find. And I think something like 96% of all Americans live within 10 miles of a gun, of a gun shop. But what's in, interesting about this issue is that that idea of tightening up gun show restrictions, uh, for, uh, forgive me, background check restrictions, is widely supported. Um, 93% of Americans by the last poll support it including 89% of Republicans and even 89, the same percentage of gun show owners. And when you have a conversation about this issue, what some people say, yeah, well, obviously, if someone has mental challenges, if someone's too young, if someone seems like they just don't, it doesn't add up that they should be having, we should stop them. That would probably be the best way to stop someone who's dealing with mental issues, someone who's dealing with these suicidal or homicidal thoughts from getting a gun. And by the way, um, it's not just Democratic politicians saying this. I think we have a cut of Donald Trump when he first encountered this as president. And every president winds up encountering this recently because that's how many of these shootings there are. Listen to these are a few things that Donald Trump had to say. Go ahead. Cut one. You can't touch the Second Amendment. And we have so many checks and balances right now. And the federal government does a horrible job. They don't use them properly. We're going to be very strong on background checks. We certainly have to strengthen background checks. Everybody agrees with that. We will act. We will do something. We have to keep the guns out of the hands of those that pose the threat. And this really includes background checks. Background checks, making them tougher. Uh, it's never that easy, but it's moving along, and a lot of great things are being done. We're making it much tougher. I'm looking to do background checks. I think background checks are important. We need intelligent background checks, okay? This isn't a question of NRA, Republican, or Democrat. There's been no president that feels more strongly about the Second Amendment than I do. However, we need meaningful background checks so that sick people don't get guns. I think in the end, Wayne and the NRA will either be there or maybe will be a little bit more neutral. So, you know, one of the and I'm no big fan, as many of you know, of 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 Donald Trump. But one of the things about him becoming president is that a lot of these issues that have become very entrenched and we're running against kind of the counter popular view because of the way that Donald Trump got elected and frankly, the fact that he didn't have to take 50 years worth of positions on issues, he was able to kind of speak kind of like 
a regular American when it came to some of these things. I found out, for example, when he supported moving of the embassy in Israel um, to Jerusalem, he's like, yeah, of course that makes sense. That's their capital. Let's go ahead and do it. And he did it. It was one of the things about him that I think that a lot of people in a bipartisan way found refreshing. Obviously, Democrats had other reasons not to like him. But what's relevant here is that he was reflecting what 90 percent of Americans and most Republicans believe that background checks are a way to help this problem. But what he mentioned there at the end when he uh, was talking about the NRA is ultimately the challenge. And that is very often I explain, and I've explained this on issues for the last several months, that there are Democrats tugging in one direction that are partially to blame sometimes for inaction, like on immigration, and the Republicans tugging from the fringe that that make inaction hard because they both threaten to primary their own party if they don't get purity. This is not such a case. This is entirely from one side of one party, and that is the inordinate sway that the National Rifle Association has. And so some people have asked me, well, what do they give a lot of money? Not really. They're not a, the money is not the thing, but they have so many members in so many states that if they put out an APB and say, listen, we're not supporting Republican number one because he agreed to a background check that doesn't affect any of you, the members, um, they could lose a primary that way. And, um, and every Republican winds up kind of, and I mean this almost everyone, not everyone, every Republican winds up kind of stepping back when the NRA steps in, even if you listen to this cut, even Donald Trump. People don't realize we have very strong background checks right now. You go in to buy a gun, you have to sign up. There are a lot of background checks that have been approved over the years. Uh, so I'll have to see what it is. But Congress is meeting bipartisan. A lot of people want to see something happen. But just remember this big mental problem. And we do have a lot of background checks right now. Right. So that's basically the position of the NRA. There's lots of background checks. There are lots of states like New York that have them. Uh, but it doesn't help all that much if you can get a gun online without a background check. This is a ch- this is the thing that we need the federal government for. This is a solution um, that is crying out. And you don't often see Republicans bucking this NRA view. And ultimately what it's going to come down to is not one but two or three or four members of the United States Senate of the Republican from the Republican side of the aisle stepping out together and saying none of us is going to be accused of being the Republican vote, but the three and four of us, we're going out and we're going to say we support tougher background checks so that we make sure that the people who get the guns are the ones that should and they're the ones that shouldn't get it. We have a real problem. There's lots of other solutions. Listen, I believe in trying different things. And I want to hear what you have to say, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Before I go to the calls, I want to also explain that nothing about – there are a lot of other ideas out there. I mean, we now kind of have a pretty good handle on what the profile is of these shooters. They're usually young men. They're usually suicidal and often homicidal. They usually have, you know, social media postings that have some element of toxic masculinity or romantic failure. You know, they're high school kids often dealing with the with all that goes into that. I've heard people suggest as having an age requirement to buy guns. I think that makes some sense. And there are also a lot of people have this element of fame involved, like they want to 
be famous. They want to be known for this. This is the way of getting notoriety on their way out the door. And I'm not saying that there are not other other possible solutions to this problem. But if we are unwilling as law-abiding Americans to say, listen, there, we should at least make it as hard to get a gun as it is to buy a car, at least make it as hard to buy a gun as it is to uh, adopt a dog, um, we should be able to come up with some common sense things that don't infringe on anyone's rights. Um, there are background checks that a lot of people go through every day. Those are gun owners. And uh, I think we just need to make them tougher, and I think we need to make them national. And we can't rely upon each state because, as we learned in in, in Connecticut, where they have strong anti-gun laws and strong background checks, that if you can get a gun online or if you can cross over state lines with them, um, then it doesn't do much good. So let's go to the phones. I want to hear what, what you have to say. This is the Anthony Weiner Show. We're here from 2 to 3 every Saturday at 3 o'clock. Curtis is coming in. We're talking about... Not just Uvalde, but we're talking about the state of the country on this Memorial Day weekend. And um, let's go to some of the calls. Some calls have been holding on for a while. Let's go to Marty in New Jersey. Marty, thanks for joining us today. Hey, sir, thank you for taking my call. I, I enjoy your uh, – we may differ on a lot of political things, but I, I enjoy your honesty. Thank you, sir. A um, couple issues, just my background. Very pro-Second Amendment, law enforcement, 33 years. I've been teaching re- reaction to active shooter ever since Columbine to not only police departments, but uh, places of worship and schools. So this, I'm very aware of this. I just want to address a couple of things you said. I'll try to be quick. Number one, I believe you're aware that every sale of a firearm in the United States from a dealer must go through a NICS background check. You're aware of that, correct? Right, from a dealer. Every, every sale. From, now, a, from, from, a, from a licensed dealer, right. Correct. What, what people like to call the loophole at gun shows is private sales. I sell to you at a gun show in some state. That's absolutely fine. You want to that's up to the shows to get pressure put on them through laws or regulations that there'll be no private sales at a gun show unless those two people walk over to a table that has a licensed dealer and they go to the next check. I support that. I have no problem with that. That's number one. Number two, you cannot order a firearm through the mail and get it sent to your home. It must go through an FFL holder which is the guy who initiates the next check. You just cannot go online and say, I want to buy that gun. They're not going to sell it to you. They can't. It's illegal. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. I'm just bringing that up to you. I'm not trying to. But that's that. But but, no, but there are one. Right now, if you go on, I don't have the the website. I don't uh, usually go to it. I can look for it. If you were right now, there's about 1.2 million person-to-person sales that go on all the time. They don't need to go. They can be done through online. They can be done through the mail. What the what the law that's the proposal that's currently before Congress would say that if you have that kind of transaction, you have to do it in person in front of a licensed gun dealer so they can put you through the through the background check. Do you support that? One hundred percent where I would see an exception to that. And I think we can talk about this is if I want to sell a gun to my son or my wife. I don't know if that's necessary, but we could talk about that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Marty, while I have you, you're a 33 year police officer. Let me ask you about. This perspective that some people have expressed that just put more guns around, put more guns in the classroom, put more armed guards at police officers. You know, you, you're probably familiar with this data, but um, between 2000 and 2019, the FBI says that 345 active shooters of those 119 committed suicide before they were taken into they were, before they were apprehended. 67 were killed by the police. 119 were apprehended. Only four cases did citizens 
kill the shooter. What is your perspective on this idea of, like, more good guys with a gun is the way you stop one bad well, guy with a gun? All right. We both have a love of Israel. 1987, Israel implemented armed security slash teachers in every school. They've never had a terrorist attack at a school since. So this is my view on that, and I'm going to put the question to you. you got a child in the school. It goes to lockdown. Your teacher of your child barricades that door. Would you not feel more comfortable knowing that teacher, at their choice, not mandated, at their choice, is carrying a firearm and is trained so that if that shooter enters that classroom, they can end it, they can end it right there. I'm not advocating teachers going in the hallways looking for the shooters. That's what the security's trained for. That's what I train to do. But that teacher is your last line, again, totally voluntary, of defense if that person comes in the classroom. No, I imagine I, this. Yeah, no, I think I, I, under, I understand that, that scenario. But practically speaking, I mean, they, when a gunman opened fire in Dayton, Ohio, in August of 2019, the police neutralized him in 30 seconds. I mean, it was amazing. He still killed nine and wounded 27. I mean, I just don't think it's an answer to anything. Well, listen. Nothing – two big things I think you and I can both agree on. We can't legislate morality, and we can't have like the old movie with Tom Cruise, The Minority Report. We don't know when people are going to do something. So we have to take the other side. We have to become harder targets. This is a horrible thing to have to say. I've got two grandchildren in my school, and I look at them, and I want that to be a hard target. I want signs out there saying, welcome to a blank, blank school. These premises patrolled by armed security. That will eliminate almost anybody who wants to cause a problem. Yes, you're going to get the wacko like this last lunatic. You're even going to get the guy in New York City uh, who shot the people in the subway. You, how do you pick them out other than the guy in Buffalo and the guy on the subway both gave active signs of being, we'll call it, slightly different than the normal person. They were, their weapons were never taken away. Well, I appreciate it. Marty, that's, that's a great call. Thank you so much for your service, and please call us back again. And I think what Marty is explaining there is kind of what many of us believe, and that if you consider this to be like a funnel, at the top of the funnel is people that are dealing with mental illness, people that are posting crazy things on the Internet, people that are generally showing signs of being near the breaking point. Catching those people, when there are so many of those that are out there that are dealing with these challenges, that's one approach. The other approach is to go the narrow end of the funnel is make sure that they can't get in their hands a particular thing, which is a gun. And I just got to say this, you know, I don't know how anyone thinks that a teacher is going to outgun a a crazy, crazy guy wearing body armor and AR-15. I just don't think that's possible. But it's a great way to get us started. When we come back from the break, we've got a bunch more calls at the top of the hour. Curtis Lewa comes in and we talk about some of his observations about this. And uh, he knows a lot about fighting crime. This is the Anthony Weiner Show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show. This is Anthony Weiner every Saturday live here at WABC from 2 to 3, right before Left versus Right with Curtis Lewa. He'll be joining us soon. This is our first official Anthony Weiner Show, and I am really honored to have you along with us here, keeping in the minds of all of us. This is Memorial Day weekend. 
pay tribute in whatever way you see fit to those that have made the sacrifice. And we're talking about the horrors of school shootings, the one that happened this week. And just, I mean, my cards are on the table. I am the father of a 10-and-a-half-year-old who I, I love more than life itself. And, you know, I think we have to start to learn to look at all of these things. And I think we do. All, all children are our children. I mean, these 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 children who were killed this week, they didn't have they were too young to have political perspectives. They didn't vote for anyone wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. They are just victims. And we have to figure out a way to come together to make sure that there aren't more. We have plenty of calls on the line here, and I want to get to some of them if we can. Um, let's go to Reed in upstate New York. Reed, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, love hearing you and Curtis go back and forth and uh, um, and uh, keep the debate moving forward. I just uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I did just want to um, correct you on the online gun sales. Um, the last caller started getting there. Uh, there are some websites where private to private sellers can go on and it's very much like an eBay for guns. And you can purchase a firearm from another uh, another person. When you do that, it is law that that person has to send that firearm to a federally licensed dealer and you have to go to that federally licensed dealer where you live and undergo that background check um the only other way that can be done is if you and i are on a a chat room and i decide to sell you something um then we do a sale like that that's illegal so I just wanted to correct you on that. That's all. And I thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate it, Reed. Thank you for calling. Call, call us back again. Uh, next, uh, Janet in Manhattan. Hi, Janet. How are you? Oh, hi, Congressman Reed. Thank you. I'm fine. Uh, yeah, you made part of the point I was going to make about the fact that these shooters are suicidal as well as homicidal. Um, you know, somebody on this station the other night said, we need to bring back the death penalty and harsher penalties. No, no, that won't do anything about this. Uh, these people know they are going to be killed or they're going to be arrested and spend the rest of their lives in jail, or if they're in a death penalty state, they will be killed. So this is, like, I guess, a very um, high-level suicide-by-cop kind of thing and, and take a lot lot of people with you. But I heard a very interesting interview and something called the New Yorker radio show. People can go to the web and listen to it. Two people interviewed, and I'm sorry I can't remember their names, were doing a very deep analysis of the psychology of these people, these mass shooters. And they made the point that, yes, we have more guns per person in America than they have in other places, but they felt there were other reasons why we have these problems that other people don't have. And the man of the pair, of the couple who wrote the book, said there was something he, he refers to the depths of despair. And he thinks there's more despair in America leading to suicidal tendencies and homicidal tendencies. And one of the things he pointed to as causing that is a lack of a social safety net. And that is quite a scandal in America that we do not have the kind of social safety net they have in other countries. I mean, you just look at Europe. We don't have the most basic thing. I think the most important thing we don't have, and that ties in with this, is is national health insurance. If you feel the need to talk to a psychiatrist, 
psychologist, you feel angry, you feel whatever, you know you need help, you can't get it unless you have a lot of money. It is very expensive. Um, there's the, and what came to, to light in the most recent, the other recent uh, problem we've had as a country, the lack of infant formula, highlights the fact that we also are the only country, the only, practically the only country in the world, not just the only wealthy country, the only country in the world that doesn't have a paid maternity leave. Um, it isn't practical to feed your own baby with your own milk, which is the best way to do it and the cheapest and easiest way to do it. Um, you can't do it if you don't have paid maternity leave. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right. And we touched on we touched on that, that issue in particular a couple of weeks ago. And I encourage anyone who wants to go back and look at it in podcast form that they can on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Janet, you're, you're right in that another broad area of agreement, at least in the rhetoric in the last week or so, has been this idea that the mental health challenges facing young men in this country are profound. And, yes, there's a lot of research that shows that most of these shooters are kind of young um, outcasts who, who express on social media their desire to kill or to be or to be killed. And I agree that the death penalty is a, a weird anomaly or a weird suggestion in the terms of how to deal with these problems. But I, And I also want to point out that since in the last two years – the lockdown and COVID and everything else has had an impact on this. You know, we had between 2013 and 2019, 345 of these kind of mass shooter things. And in the last two years, there have been 103. Um, and again, just to, 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 to stress this, it's fine to say, well, I don't want to do background checks. I think we should do other things. But we're also not doing those other things. It's not like many of the op- the opponents of tougher background checks and more limits on the types of guns we can sell are actually supporting increased funding for mental health or increased funding for interventions of these sorts. It's, it's, it is, it is, there's a certain amount of hypocrisy going on, but I appreciate your weighing in, Janet, and uh, call us back again soon. Uh, David in New Jersey. David, thank you for holding on. What have you got today? Yeah. Hi, Anthony. Uh, you know, you, uh, you, am I on? You are David. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you're talking about the tragedy of the shooting in Texas. But every day, over 275 people are killed or die from shooting up on fentanyl. A poison that, you know, that's killing all our young people. Nobody talks about that. 275 no, plus. Nobody talks dead. about, no one talks about the fentanyl crisis in our country. Is that what you're saying, David? Seriously? Uh, 275 people a day. Where are the politicians? Where's the media? Where's the horror? Where's the tragedy? David, I, I, I appreciate it, and, and, and please call us again. I mean, I don't think anyone can say that, the, that the, the, the drug crisis in this country is not getting a lot of attention. And by the way, I am, I am here all day, uh, proverbial speaking. I'm, they don't want me here all day. They don't, it's only called the Anthony Weiner Show for one hour. I am here all day to have conversations about other issues. But I don't like the way that sometimes it's, oh, I don't want to talk about that one because it's inconvenient, so let me talk about this other one over here. Today we're talking about the challenge that we have that just about every other week, and we had basically two in the last week, there are these mass shooter things going on, and we're made, it's much too easier for people who should not have guns to have guns, and overwhelming numbers of Americans believe that, like 90%, and still we do nothing about it. That's what we're talking about Today, that's not to say that fentanyl is not a problem. It's not to say that other issues are not problems. I just think that sometimes we do that. Oh, I don't want to talk about background checks because I want to talk about fentanyl. I want to talk about fentanyl, too. We'll do that on, an, on another episode. Dave and Alpine, go ahead, Dave. Thank you so much for holding on. Yes, I, uh, you're an excellent debater, I must admit. But sometimes you lose on the facts. 
in New Jersey, you need two background checks to buy a gun, number one. And, and number two, I think they're weak on the mental health check. Every place is weak because of confidentiality. If you go to a psychiatrist and have a problem, it's not reported to the government. It needs to be reported so we can find people that are not supposed to have guns because of mental health. That's that's a and it's, it's a great idea. I'm sure there are complications around around that. And and I don't know what fact I got wrong. I said there are there are 21 states in the in the country, mostly uh, blue states, that have background checks. The problem is like a lot of thi- well, like many things, you cannot say I'm only going to close off the doors to people getting these types of guns in one state and not do it nationally. Some this is a matter of national defense. It's what it is. It is we should not have a, a background checks be strong in one place and weak in another because then we have a situation like this. But I don't think I got that fact wrong. I said that overwhelmingly of the 3,200 laws that have been passed over the last 25 years to deal with this challenge of too many people getting shot by guns, about 20, 21 states, mostly blue states, almost entirely blue states, have passed background checks, red flag laws to, to find the mentally challenged, to, to people who are dealing with mental problems prevent them from getting guns. And in 28 states, more blue states, there have been laws that made it easier to get guns around the philosophy of getting a, get more hands, uh, more guns into good guys' hands to be able to fight the bad guys. I don't think I got that wrong, but I appreciate the call. Uh, Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, go ahead. Thank you for calling us. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for taking the call. Now, uh, Anthony, look, your party's real good at this for the last 30 years. These thing, These incidents happen, these shootings, and right away, rush to blame the gun. It is your party since 30 years ago. And you know who I'm talking about, 30. Who came to power 30 years ago that wants to blame the gun? And so let's look at, the instead of holding accountable, the evildoer here who, thank goodness, was taken out by a, a, a guy, good guy with a gun, who was not on duty. Do you realize that? Right. I'd like you to address here. This is a two-part question. But. Why don't you? Why is your party afraid to hold these, these to look at the person who did this, hold them personally accountable, and let's look at what drove them to do it rather than blame a gun? That's that is number. Why don't we start there? All right. And if you can give me that Gmail address again for you, I, I would like that. Having said that, I'll hand it to you. Go ahead. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your calling. It's Wiener WABC at Gmail. Wiener WABC at Gmail. I'd, I'd like to hear from you. Anyone else who wants to weigh in on this, I like to. Read a couple of emails the uh, the following week. I don't understand how. I mean, look, I get the question. Focus on the guy. Yeah, well, I'll focus on the guy. How is that getting us anywhere? How is that say like saying, "Oh, Dylan Roof is an evil guy"? How does that getting us? I want to solve this problem. Dylan Roof going in with a with with a hacksaw would not have caused the harm that he did. This guy would have not been able to do it. He had an AR-15 in body armor, and and you say a guy that was off duty stopped him. You haven't been paying attention to the news the last 24 hours. Increasingly, there was nine. There were at, there were 19 uh, 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 uniformed officers in the building at the time the shooting was going on, while a nine-year-old was was calling 911 repeatedly for help. I mean, we've got to. St- I don't believe it's reasonable unless we're going to have a SWAT team hovering over every school to believe that you're just going to be able to somehow pluck these needles out of haystacks. These evil people who are. If that's the word we're going to use, these sick people who are stewing in their juices, who are feeling disconnected, who are feeling angry, homicidal, suicidal, whatever it is, 
We've been trying that strategy. How is it working? How is it working? Are we going to really, do we really believe that somehow these social media companies are going to catch every single rant of someone who says, I'm going to shoot up a, a elementary school? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that some guy sitting in his basement waiting to turn 18 so he can order a gun online is, is going to, I just don't believe we're going to, that that's the solution. And we have evidence to show that it's not working. It's just not working. Let's try this. Let's try it. 90% of the American people said, let's just make it harder for people to get guns who shouldn't have them. Let's focus on that. I'm not saying we don't focus on the other things, but for goodness sakes, it's, I mean, this, this, this debate sometimes is exhausting. I'm not saying don't do the other things. I'm fine with trying everything. You want, you want the, the, the number of, of my, my, my shrink that, so you can keep track of whoever is not feeling well. That's fine. Okay. You want to try something like that? But ultimately, 90% of the American people and Donald Trump and so many other people are right. We've got to do more to keep these guns out of these people's hands. Thank you very much for joining us. On the other side, we're going to have a few more of these calls. The board is filled up, as you can imagine. People feel very passionately about these things. This is the Anthony Weiner Show at the top of the hour. Curtis Lewa on Left versus Right. Thank you so much for joining us on WABC Talk Radio. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the Anthony Weiner Show. Welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show, heard every Saturday from 2 to 3 here on WABC Radio. You can hear it also on WABCradio.com. Comes out as a podcast every week as well, and uh, I want to once again express my gratitude to all of you, the listeners, for giving me this opportunity to be part of your afternoon on this uh, important weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Keep all of those who have lost family members uh, in times of war, in times of crisis, in your thoughts. And we're talking about the shooting. Well, I was going to say the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. It could be any number of the shootings. And yet we've talked a little bit about the problems that sometimes common sense things don't happen. You know, there is a lot of information out there about what works and what doesn't, and nothing is perfect. And, I, and you know, I, you know the, the, the police officers that are out there every day that have to deal with these challenges, um, I don't know how many of you remember the name, uh, Ematic Fitzgerald Bradford Jr. Uh, he was a guy in 2018 that was really a hero. Um, there was a, an active shooter situation at, at a shopping center, in, um, I want to see, I was in Alabama in 2018, and he shot the perpetrator and was hailed as a hero. And there's only one problem with that story. It has a sad ending. He was shot by the police who mistook him for the perpetrator. And again, you can come up with anecdotes about any number of different scenarios, but it's worth reminding that, you know, that when police officers go into these situations, even, you know, that there's that they're very hard to manage. Um, Bill Bratton was on the, the, the Cats Roundtable last night, and he talked about the training that they do to try to be within five minutes of any school at any time uh, with a tactical team that comes in. We have 38,000 police officers. I think we have the ability to do it. We have the best trained, most skillful police department in the world. We train other police departments on how to do what they do. This is not easy stuff, but I know one thing, and Commissioner Bratton echoed this yesterday, having more guns on the scene don't necessarily make things better. And I think someone wants to make a similar point to that is Art Newhaven. Art, thanks for holding on. Go ahead, bud. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you. All right. 
my my brother was hurt by the cops. But let me tell you something real quick. I was sick this week. I had to go to Yale New Haven Hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. Now, the second night I was there, they they woke me up and they shuckled me and I, I was scared. So they hogtied me. This is Yale New Haven Hospital. They hogtailed me for five days and left me in my urine and my feces. What do you think of that? That doesn't sound like a great way to spend your time. I'm sorry to hear that you had that uh, that challenge. Call us back again, please. Phil in Brooklyn. Go ahead, Phil. You're on. Hello, sir. How are you? I am well, thank God. How are you, sir? All right. Uh, my my point that I'm trying to make here is I, I, am, I am for the Second Amendment. However... I do believe in common sense, um, you know, theory. So let's just take this for example. I live in New York. New York is one of the strictest gun law states, okay? Now, my friends who live in Jersey, they can get guns. Pennsylvania can get guns. Each state is different. I believe there should be a a universal background check in every state that is the same across the board. So, in other words, you shouldn't just give anybody a gun just to give it to them. They should have to go through a background check uh, through the NIC system, whether it takes three days, five days, seven days until they get there, until they're all clear and they're all checked out. You know, not that they just hand somebody a gun in, in five minutes, because within five minutes, you, you can't no way figure out that person's entire history. You need a little bit of time, even with computers. During, uh, Phil, are, Phil, are you a supporter of the Second Amendment? I'm in support of the Second Amendment. Do you think anything – I'm just curious, and I'm asking you a serious question here. Do you think anything that you just described, that common-sense solution you just described, in any way infringes on the Second Amendment? In my opinion, no. In my opinion, in no, my too. Opinion, no. My opinion, no, too. Okay. And, and, you know, Phil, you know, you represent, I think, a very important constituency in this country. I think that if people who are pro-Second Amendment – NRA supporters say loud and clear, look, we are fine. I'm fine waiting for an extra day so that we keep someone who is mentally ill or mentally unstable from getting a gun. I am fine that if we have a test in Texas, uh, that as long as it's the same as in New York. And I can tell you what I'm prepared to give here on the other side of the aisle. I I agree. I, I would be fine if those background checks are strong enough that they should supersede and preempt other states. That the states, so long as we have one system that prevents people from getting this, all of our constitutional rights come with responsibility. They're not just rights. They're also responsibilities. That goes with speech. That goes with everything else. That's what we need here, more of a sense of responsibility. This has been a great opportunity for me, the Anthony Weiner Show, every Saturday from 2 to 3. Coming up next, me and Curtis Lewa on Left versus Right. Thank you so much. Have an amazing weekend, but stick with us. We'd love to see you for the conversation with Curtis on the other side.